Welcome back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And with me for this segment from Fantasy Sports Network, Gary and Thorne. You know him from the rotation. Gary, welcome uh, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. Thanks for having me, Al. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, glad, uh, glad to have you on and uh, enjoyed uh, being a guest on your show. So I figured we just we keep keep the fun going. <laughs> so uh, and we've uh, you know on your show we've talked a lot about pitchers. So we got a lot of uh, good uh, pitcher uh, developments to talk about here. But um, I know we're going to talk about the Trevor Cahill trade and the Jaime Garcia trade. But I wanted to throw something by you that I uh, just uh, threw out at the end of the previous segment, which is uh, I'm calling yesterday's slate favorable matchup Monday because in, in reviewing it, I realized there were a lot of really good matchups for, for pitchers that generally took advantage of it. And Justin Verlander had a great start against the Royals, and it's back-to-back Good starts for, for Verlander, really much better than he had been doing before. So I put out a Twitter poll. Who deserves the credit for these two good starts from Verlander, the Royals or Verlander himself? Which way would you go on that? I mean, I think I could possibly see myself giving it to Verlander. I mean, uh, we'll get into this a little bit more and why this matters in a second, but the Royals actually, the last 30 days, have the fourth best offense by, you know, the most basic of metrics we're talking about here, but by pure runs scored over the last 30 days. Fourth best team in all of baseball, and really among human teams in the American League, so if we discount the Astros for a second, the best offense in the American <laughs> League the last 30 days. So I kind of got to give this to Verlander. I know there's been a lot of talk about if you eliminate the three worst starts and really try to find the mean of his season. And it's easy to just say, yeah, throw out the worst starts of any pitcher, and he's a lot better. But, you know, that really has been the case, aside from the occasional blow-up with Verlander. I think my one major concern this year, and if there's anyone out there who would support this claim, it would be Justin Verlander, who has gotten on the soapbox quite a bit this year, talking about the, uh, let's just call them changes in the baseball, or perspective changes in the baseball this season. We've seen it with essentially every extreme fly ball pitcher who is not Max Scherzer. It has not been a good year to be an extreme fly ball pitcher. So maybe that type of archetype that's kind of saved Verlander's career the last couple years, maybe that's trending in the wrong direction with how baseball as a whole is trending right now. But, you know, Verlander, there's so many outliers this season, and I just feel like he is primed to have a pretty good second half. All right. Well, you are in the strong, strong majority. Uh, the poll closed with 64% voting for Verlander. Uh, if I had voted my own poll, I would have voted the Royals because, while well, you're right, they're a much improved uh, team offensively, one of the best, off, uh, best teams offensively of late. Uh, they still swing and miss a lot. <laughs> and yeah. uh, Verlander has not had much luck with that up until these last two starts. But I, I, I could break that down a, a little bit more later in the show. I definitely want to, as you said, you, you want to talk about the Royals. Uh, I know you want to talk about this trade, Trevor Cahill, uh, and, of course, the, the two uh, late-end relievers, uh, Buckter and Maurer, going over to KC. Uh, so how do you think that this affects Trevor Cahill's value going from the NL to the AL, from the Padres to the Royals? Uh, much Much change there? I don't think there's much change. I mean, I guess any time sort of a mid-level starting pitcher goes from the National League to the American League, he might take a little bit of a hit. Uh, because some of the things you would initially go to in terms of what are obvious factors 
that would make the situation better or ballpark off the top. And, you know, there's not a ton of discernible difference between Petco and between Kaufman. Both are very friendly pitchers parks in the most general of senses. And the run support narrative is going to be interesting because while I'm not going to paint this picture that the Padres were really backing up Trevor Cahill out in San Diego, if you look at the four pitchers this season for San Diego who have started at least 10 games, that'd be Cahill, Chassin, Clayton Richard, and Luis Perdomo, he actually was by far getting the most run support. I mean, not to the upper echelon of the league, but of the 146 pitchers with 60 innings thrown this season, Shasin, Richard, and Perdomo all ranked in the bottom 25 in terms of run support, where Cahill was actually in the upper half of the league. So I do think it's a better offensive and run support situation, a better win expectancy situation uh, in Kansas City. But you know, I just think Cahill's pretty good, and, and I don't think that changes too much uh, depending on where he's going. He checks a lot of the boxes that you know, I like to kind of fill out when I'm looking for a starting pitcher, whether it be the extreme ground ball rates, uh, which you know, would, would only help his, his chances at Kauffman Stadium because, you know, home run suppression this season, as we were sort of just talking about with Verlander, is a very important facet in fantasy baseball this year. And that swinging strike rate that he brings to the table as well, only six pitchers with 60 innings thrown have had a 12% or higher swinging strike rate and a 50% or higher ground ball rate. And we're talking like Severino, McCullers, Godley, Woods. So some pretty good company right now for Trevor Cahill. So maybe a minor hit, uh, to some of the ratios, but I do think the win expectancy is probably a lot better in Kansas City. Yeah, hard to argue with that, um, even if the Royals you know, hadn't improved, uh, which they have. Uh, and you don't worry about uh, control with Cahill? That's been a little bit worse of late. Uh, so that's Yeah, that's I mean, non- it, it, it's a concern. I mean, it's, it's not something you'd like to see. Um, but, you know, in the same way that there are is that tier of pitcher, and I was – and I was actually thinking about this uh, yesterday, reading um, uh, Paul Spohr's recent piece up on Fangraphs uh, about kind of breaking, re-breaking down his, uh, his bold predictions from early on in the year. And he had kind of gone out in the limb for Francisco Liriano, and that was a case I was heavily making to start the season. And I kind of found myself realizing that more often than not, I'm willing to take the chance on the control. Uh, you know, I'm willing to say, like, oh, maybe Brandon Finnegan. Like, I'm sure in 2018 I'm going to be sitting there saying, oh, this could be the year for Brandon Finnegan. Like, I, I will continue to go to that well because I do feel like, especially, you know, Cahill's not at this value anymore. But, you know, speaking in a more general sense, like, when you're taking these back-end shots on upside, I think you can and I think you really have to kind of factor in that generally with the high upside comes the massive downside. There's not a lot of high ceiling, high floor guys. They're going in the first round. So I'm not too worried about the walk stuff with Cahill. That's a great point, actually. We talk all the time about the lack of reliable pitchers, you know, lack of uh, pitchers with minimal flaws. So that's good good to have that perspective on it. Um, Now, in terms of the relievers involved, uh, it looks like the, the Royals once again have a super pen like they did in those World Series years. Uh, with the addition of uh, Maurer and Buckter, do you think that they could actually be a, a potential threat to Herrera, who's not really been on the top of his game this year? I don't know if Buckter and Maurer really are. I mean, Maurer, I, I, I'd like to go to bat for this guy because it really has been such a lie of a season for Maurer. It didn't start off great, but, you know, with all the sort of Brad Hand trade talk and the Brad Hand uh, handcuff talk that we were, you know, hearing in March and April and May, uh, and for a little bit towards the end of late May, it seemed like Hand might actually take over that job. I mean, Maurer's been pretty good the last two months. And, you know, you look at the strand rate he's put up this season. It's just 
otherworldly in terms of how horrendously unlucky it is. Only, you know, uh, not a name you like to talk about a whole lot, but only Fernando Rodney has a worse strand rate this season, down around 50%. So I think he's pitched well, but I don't think he's a guy who right now, when you look at the raw numbers or when Ned Yost looks at the raw numbers, is going to say, you know, this guy has to be thrust into the closer's job. And Herrera's looked a little bit better since he came down with that illness and gave up the home run to Mikey Matuk a couple games back, uh, three straight scoreless appearances. But I, I really do worry about Joaquin Soria. I think Soria is a guy who is pitching much better than Herrera this season. Uh, and it always comes down to that question, you know, do do we think that Ned Yost feels more comfortable with Soria in the eighth because maybe there's the freedom to use him in you know, more high-leverage situations than sticking him in that ninth inning slaughter? You know, it's just the familiarity with Herrera enough to keep this job. So I would say I'm leaning to like 75-80% that Herrera keeps his job rest of season, but I think it's Soria who takes the job if anyone does. Uh, and you're saying there's a chance, so that's that's enough. Uh, I think to you know drop a few dollars if you can. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sorry, and I, I I do agree with that assessment. Uh, now, on the other hand, uh, of course, the uh, Padres lost two thirds of their back end combo, uh, and Brad Hand has been rumored to be traded for months now. So, uh, do you think it's safe to assume that Hand is going to be gone? And then, if that's the case, who closes? Yeah, it's it's a tough one, and I think Brad Hand at this point is probably owned in a majority of leagues, but if you do have a chance to grab him, I think wherever he goes, and especially if he ends up on a good team in a high-leverage situation where he might be used in multiple innings, I think spending a few dollars on him in your upcoming fab period wouldn't be the worst idea. I mean, there's it's it's been it's happened before where a guy who's been rumored to be traded all season long doesn't get traded, and if that's the case, he's a very good closing option out there in San Diego. Uh, and if he is traded, I think he's still a, a relatively viable guy is sort of like a streaming reliever if you don't want to, you know, use maybe a lower tier of guy in a 12-man mix or a 14-man mix. But what's left in there in San Diego? I mean, I know Carter Capps is getting a little bit of love right now, uh, who's put up some good numbers in the minors. But, you know, Kirby Yates is having a really good season. Uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, the old school narrative of the pressure is going to get to him. I don't know if he has a closer's mentality. But Kirby Yates, I mean, the only two guys with a higher swinging strike rate among relievers than Kirby Yates this season are Craig Kimbrell and Roberto Osuna. So wow. it seems like he's in pretty good <laughs> company right now. And, I mean, the one knock on Yates... Uh, that I could possibly construe is that he's an extreme, extreme fly ball pitcher, and sometimes you don't like those home run threats being at the back end of your bullpen, but, you know, Petco kind of helps that. So I feel like Yates is sitting there having a really good season, begging to be put in this role. So uh, I wouldn't mind picking up him in a speculative ad basis right now. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, uh, Gary, we've got less than a minute left, so... I'm going to have to go uh, lightning round with you on this. So uh, Jaime Garcia, helped or hurt by target field? Uh, I think it's neutral, but I think he's interesting with the swinging strike rates he's put up since July. So uh, I like Jaime. All right. Uh, Rafael Devers, yay or nay in 12-team mixed league? Uh, Yay. I think the only thing that was holding him back was the uh, position stuff, and we don't care about that in fantasy. So I think uh, he is someone who's definitely got to get a look at this point. All right, and Lance McCullers, buy low or pass? Oh, buy low, 100%. Uh, 60% ground ball rate and the highest ERA FIP differential in the month of July. He is getting super unlucky. Cluster luck 
is the cause for this <laughs> right now for Lance McCullers. Buy low. Cluster luck. Love it, Gary. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for uh, spitting out some great stuff very, very efficiently there. Uh, an efficient start there by Gary and Thorne. So uh, thanks, thanks for joining us. <laughs> All right, no have a good one. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we will be right back, so stick around.